I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power and the praise of men. I was given weakness to sense my need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for but everything I hoped for. In spite of myself, my prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Can you say amen? If you don't have an outline of the sermon today, please raise your hand and Brother Stephen, make sure you have one. We're beginning a new study. I'm very excited about what we're beginning and what we're going to be doing for the next little while. We're going to be looking at the book of Mark. We're going to be looking at the book of Mark. One of the great things about understanding, uh, trying or getting somewhat of an understanding on what's happening is, is knowing that God wants to speak to us. God speaks to us in so many ways. He spoke to us uh, supernaturally this morning. He speaks to us, of course, through His Spirit. And the main, uh, of course, way that He does speak to us is through His Word. But God dealing with mankind, relating to us, us relating to Him, knowing what His will is for us. And we we do that, as I said, also through the Word of God. And... uh, I just love the book of Mark. I trust that you'll take out time in the next few weeks, in the next few days to sit down and read the book of Mark. Read it with several translations. If you don't have the the message, the contemporary translation by Eugene Peterson, I would encourage you to get the message and read it. uh, It just opens up new avenues, and it certainly opens up new things for you. Uh, Let me read a little bit here about the book itself. Mark's story of Jesus' ministry is action-oriented. Recounting little extended teachings of Jesus, Mark shifts scenes rapidly, immediately, is a word that's used over and over by Mark, the writer. Immediately is almost a standard linking word in Mark. Jesus is constantly on the move, healing, exercising demons, confronting opponents, and instructing the disciples. This fast-paced narrative is punctuated by six transitional paragraphs or statements which divide Mark's account into seven basic sections. Read one more small paragraph. This gospel is unique because it emphasizes Jesus' actions more than it does his teachings. It's a great, great statement. It is simply written, moving quickly from one episode in the life of Christ to another. It does not begin with a genealogy as in Matthew because Gentiles could not be interested in his lineage or would not be interested. After the introduction of Jesus and his baptism, Jesus began his public ministry in Galilee and called the first four of his 12 disciples. What follows is a record of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Uh, Before we get into Mark, the book itself, I want to talk about Mark the writer. 
because it is very interesting, and we glean some powerful lessons from this great man, this man called Mark. Notice the introduction. Very interesting. John Mark, John is his Jewish name, and Mark is his Gentile or Roman name. John Mark may not be as well known as Peter, Paul, John, or many of the other New Testament personalities, yet a quick survey of his life reveals time-tested truths that are good for us to keep in mind even today. The Bible tells us John Mark was the close cousin of Barnabas. That's interesting because as we do this study, you'll find out that is important to understand that John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, the great encourager. Barnabas was his uncle. Barnabas was, was Mary, John Mark's mother's brother. And uh, you find out throughout the book of, uh, the book of Acts Mark wrote from Rome using Peter as his primary source. Many believe that Matthew and Luke, interesting statement, many believe that Matthew and Luke based their gospels on Mark's. Mark's gospel is an ideal introduction to the Christian faith. One of the reasons I chose, one of the reasons I chose Mark is for the simple reasons that when you're dealing with with non-churched unbelievers, even, even so-called, and I'll put it in quotes, Christians today, you never or should never assume anything. There was a time when I began preaching year, uh, 46 years ago that you could use words that you cannot use today and people understand them. Clichés. We're so, we're so used to using clichés that people know very, very little about what we're talking about. If you use the word saved, born again, uh, uh, many of the words. And yet Mark, Mark takes us to a place to where he introduces Jesus Christ in such a profound way, in such a simple way, until you can take the book of Mark and you can teach out of that, you you can witness out of that, and you can win the unsaved. You can use it as a tool for evangelism. And if there ever was a time that the church needs to go outside of the four walls and reach those people out there, it's today. And we need to know how to do that. We need to understand that those people you come in contact with most of the time today will not know what you're talking about. But God and the Scripture and the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you to be able to witness to people and to win them, of course, to Christ. And so that's a a very good reason that we want to look at this book and also look at the life of John Mark. Notice, first of all, the blessing of a godly home. The blessing of a godly home. As I was telling you that uh, Mary, another Mary, uh, was the Mark, what was the mother of Mark. In fact, if, if her name is called almost every time, if not every time, it will be Mary, the mother of John Mark. Mary, the mother of John Mark. Mark's mother, important number two, look at it. Mark's mother hosted a Jerusalem church found in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. 
found a very, very, it, it was a very important meeting place. In fact, some speculate that the Last Supper took place in her home. Let me, let me tell you when we first were introduced to Mark. Most of us will know the story in, in Acts chapter 12 where, Jesus, where the, the apostle Peter was arrested. Remember that story? He was put in prison. And uh, the Bible says that the church, that the church prayed for Peter. You know where the people were gathering to pray for Peter? It was in Mary's house. Because the Bible says as they prayed, an angel visited Peter in the prison. Went right through the bars, right through the walls, and went right into the room where Peter was. Tapped him on the shoulder and said, Put your shoes on. We're getting out of here. Well, maybe not that way, but I believe, you know, he woke. He 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 spoke to Peter. Peter walks out of the prison, walks down the street, and then all of a sudden he realizes because he thought he was dreaming. He said, "I'm not dreaming," and so he goes to John Mark's mother's house where they were praying. It's a great story. He knocks on the door, and he couldn't get anybody to come. Boy, it was a prayer meeting. I mean, they were really praying. About like the folks who be praying here 15 minutes after the service today. Every We're fasting for 40 days at the church, and there's prayer here every Sunday morning, 15 minutes following the service here in this place. Music's going, and you just have a, a, an hour of prayer time. Well, they were praying. But finally, this, this young girl came to the door, and when she saw Peter at the door, it frightened her. And so she runs back, and she tells the people, Peter's here. And they said, you've seen a ghost. It's not Peter. He's in prison. Now, here they are praying for God to deliver him. She slams the door in his face, and he's got to knock again. He's got to keep on knocking. And finally, somebody goes to the door, and lo and behold, here is the Apostle Peter. That's the first recording of John Mark was in that house. I don't know about you, but I believe it's so important for us to have godly, godly homes, moms, and dad, aren't you, aren't you glad for homes that teach about Jesus? Aren't you glad for homes that raise uh, their children according to the word of God? I look around this church and I see so many wonderful homes that God has provided for these young people and God has provided for these boys and girls. Thank God. Thank God. When you were not raised in a home where it was pleasant and there was peace, it makes a difference. So John Mark was raised in a house, in a home, where there was prayer, where there was certainly reading, reading the uh, Scripture and, and serving God. Much depends upon the choice of friends. Let's notice not only his home life, but let's notice his friends. Mark's life was lived in the company of godly men such as Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. How would you like to have those three people as your friend? How would you like to go home and hear sits Peter? How would you like to travel with Paul and have your uncle Barnabas? 
Uncle Barnabas. I mean, that's, these, these, are, these are great, powerful men of God. And this is who he, he, he was with. And he, he fellowshiped them. And so his friends were people that knew what it was to serve God. And as I said, men and women of God. He traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their first journey. Not only was he with them, but he was able to minister with them and travel with them on their first journey. Now, one of the things that happened to Mark, we don't know why, but Mark on that first missionary trip left Paul and Barnabas. He says, I'm going home. Because sometimes it's rough in the ministry, especially on the mission. How many of you have been on the, been, been on the mission field? Of, you've traveled. Look at the hands. Many of you have. And you know there are mission fields right here in America. And sometimes it's not easy. It's not easy to go and, and, and feel like you're, you've been forsaken. I'm reminded of the old gentleman that he and his wife spent many years, many years on the mission field. They gave their life practically. And as they got older, they, they said, we, we're going to have to go home. We've got to go, go, go back to the States. And so they got on the ship and they arrived uh, back here in the States. And there was a great big crowd there to welcome that, that ship. But it happened so, this is a true story, happened so that one of the presidents of the United States was on that ship. There was a band and thousands of people to meet the president of the United States. And they hurrayed and they honored him. And they all just uh, just uh, enjoyed him as he came in. And then they left. The president left. The crowd left. And the old gentleman was walking down the plank and he and his wife. Nobody was there to greet them. They'd been on the mission field for many years. But nobody was there to greet them. And the old missionary began to cry, and he said, Lord, nobody, we've given our life. Nobody's here to meet us. And God said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Listen, it was not easy. So Mark left Paul and Silas. And he went back home. He didn't go to Antioch where there, some of the ministers were, where the church was first started. Christianity was called. But listen, he went back home. And uh, he failed. He blew it. He went AWOL. And I say that because I want you to understand something. There's probably not a one of us here today that we haven't failed in some way. There's probably not a one of us here today that at times in our ministry, at times in our walk with God, that we've not gone AWOL and we've been absent. And God's been trusting us, and yet we, we, we took off. We didn't pray like we should. We didn't live like we should. We, 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 we just simply disobeyed. Now, John Mark didn't lose Christ. He didn't, you know, he still had a relationship with Christ, but he was just disobedient to God, and he certainly was out of the will of God. But what happened to John Mark? Very interesting story. Have all the scriptures, if you'll notice, uh, listed on your outline. Very, very good 
scriptures and, and, and it tells about, the, tells about Mark. I would like for you to read them when, we, when you get time. But he later became a fellow laborer and comfort to Paul. I want to read uh, Colossians 4 and, and 10. If I can find my... By the way, I'm getting a new mic next week. Yes. And I won't have to do this and I can have two hands. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4 and 11. Only Luke is with me. Greet Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And uh, then Peter talks about Mark in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, uh, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. So we find that Mark not only did he leave Paul and Barnabas, but he repented of that, was back in the fellowship with God, and then uh, Paul and Silas accepted him. But let me, let me tell you what happened when he left Paul. When he left Paul and, and Barnabas, he, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas was about to start on a new trip a new missionary trip. And uh, Barnabas said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get uh, Mark and bring him with us. And Paul said, you're not going to do that. He said, he left us before, and I'm not, I'm not going to put up with it. And uh, Paul was pretty stern. He was pretty straightforward. And so uh, there was a dissension between Paul and Barnabas. Paul went one way. Barnabas went the other. Paul took Silas with him. And, of course, Barnabas took Mark with him. But he failed, but he was willing to repent of his failure. And he was willing to, uh, to, to be faithful again. I was reading from, I love John Maxwell's writing. About, and he talks about failing forward. It's a great book. If you've never read it, it's called Failing Forward. And I uh, got some of the quotes that he has in this particular book. And if you've ever failed, if you've ever fallen, if you've ever disobeyed God and been out of fellowship with God, if you've ever been out of the will of God, I want you to listen because you can be brought back into fellowship again. He says in life, the question is not if you will have problems, but how you're going to deal with your problems. If the possibility of failure is erased, what would you attempt to achieve? He also says when achievers fail, they see it as a momentary event, not a lifelong epidemic. We don't have to let our failures, failures get us down. We don't have to let our fail, failures destroy us. Another quote, procrastination is too high a price to pay for fear of failure. He goes on to say, to conquer fear, you have to feel the fear and take action anyway. Forget motivation. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like serving God. I don't feel like praying. You don't do it because you feel like it or because you don't feel like it. You do it because it's right. He says, forget motivation. Just do it. Act your way into feeling, not wait for positive emotions to carry you forward. Recognize that you will spend much of your life making mistakes. Wow. 
That wouldn't go over for some hyper-faith teachers and preachers. But you will make mistakes. There will be times that we will fail, just like, just like John Mark. Life is playing a poor hand well. The greatest battle you will rage against failure occurs on the inside, not the outside. And I feel like the Lord has led us to, let, to, to speak today to some, and I feel like this is, the, this is the bulk of this message, that you have fallen, you have failed somewhere in life. And maybe you've not gotten over it. Maybe there was an unwanted pregnancy. Maybe there was uh, an issue between you and someone else and you've never gotten it under the blood. Whatever that failure, whatever that wrong, whatever you faced, and yet you've not gotten over it, God wants you to know this morning you can be victorious. Can you say amen? Remember, you one or two more. The more you do, the more you fail. The more you fail, the more you learn. The more you learn, the better you get. Determining what went wrong in a situation has value. Listen at it. But taking that analysis another step and figuring out how to use it to your benefit is a real difference maker when it comes to failing forward. And again, that's the title of his book. Failing forward. Don't let your learning lead to knowledge. Let your learning lead to action. And one more. Listen to this. Successful people have learned to do what does not come naturally. Nothing worth achieving comes easily. The only way to fail forward and achieve your dreams is to cultivate tenacity and to cultivate persistence. And this is what God is calling us to do. You ask anyone here that's doing anything for God. Ask Terry Schuff, has he ever failed? Ask anyone that's doing anything for God, have they ever failed? And they'll tell you yes. But God takes our failures if we're willing to humble ourselves and say, God, I blew it. John Mark blew it. He made such a mess of things until it, it, it split uh, Paul and Barnabas. But yet John Mark said, hey, I'm not going to allow failure to destroy me. And I want to be back in the fellowship, not only with God, but I want to be back in the fellowship with the men of God that I was with. And Paul, when he would speak of Mark later on, he would speak well of him. And he said, bring him to me because he will do me well. What a companion. What a willingness to ask forgiveness. Just because he was raised in that family home, just because that his mother was a vital part of the early church, just because of all the people that he associated with did not mean he would not fail. But one thing for sure, when we fail, if we'll take it to God and we'll say, Father, forgive me, not allow that failure to destroy us, but stand up and say, God, through your grace, I'm going to make it. Through your grace, I'm going to be victorious. And so was the life of John Mark. Bow your heads and let us pray.